new concerns about a possible resurgence of COVID-19. This is due to a massive number of unvaccinated people in certain parts of the country. What's your message to platforms like Facebook? They're killing people. I mean, it really, look, the only pandemic they have is among the unvaccinated. The new cases in COVID are because of unvaccinated folks. Almost 100% of the new hospitalizations are with unvaccinated folks. And the deaths are certainly occurring with unvaccinated folks. These folks are choosing a horrible lifestyle of self-inflicted pain. Besides, you know, this emotional plea you just gave us, what is it going to take to get people to get shots? I don't know. You tell me. Folks are supposed to have common sense. But it's time to start blaming the unvaccinated folks, not the regular folks. It's the unvaccinated folks that are letting us stay. There is a clear message that is coming through. This is becoming a pandemic of the unvaccinated. We are seeing outbreaks of cases in parts of the country that have low vaccination coverage because unvaccinated people are at risk. And communities that are fully vaccinated are generally faring well. It is getting real. And uh, if you ever were going to fall asleep in a message, this would not be the one. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you that up front. Do you notice how the narrative is starting to change in light of what you just saw? See, it used to be we had this deadly disease, this virus going out. It's going to wipe out the planet, though it's 99% plus survival rate. But it's going out, and all the focus is on this. This is the pandemic. It's all about the virus. The narrative is changing to where now we have a pandemic of what? The unvaccinated. Are you paying attention to what is going on? This is absolutely incredible. Unprecedented on every level. If you're one of those that are going to choose, and it's your choice, you're going to choose to remain unvaccinated, you are going to be targeted. It is going to happen. They're going to come after you. You're going to be singled out because you are considered to be a danger to yourself and a danger to the rest of humanity. They are absolutely coming. Look at headlines like this. Check this out. Dear unvaxxed federal employees, find a new job or prepare to be oppressed at work. Prepare. In other words, if you don't do what we say, we're going to make you pay. If you don't yield to this vaccination, it's going to be very hard for you. We're going to make it so difficult. You're not going to have all those privileges that you used to have. You're going to be ostracized. You'll be mocked. You'll be separated from the vaccinated. We'll slap a mask on your face. You're not going to be able to go to certain areas because you're unvaccinated. You may not be able to go to grocery stores very soon. Fly, do all those sorts of travel, enter federal government buildings, or even perhaps even receive Government funds, if you're one of those on some government program. All of this stuff is being talked about right now. I mean, we're dealing with end of the world type stuff. Look at this. Headline reads, time to penalize those who won't get vaccinated against COVID-19. See, they're done playing. That time, they, you know, it's, it's the proverbial, they, they've been dangling the carrot on the stick for so long, 
The carrot's not working, so they're going to use the stick. And they're going to use it well. Why? Because you're a biological threat to humanity. If you're not going to get vaccinated. What scares me about this is this type of behavior has existed in history. We've seen this before. It is eerie. And what am I talking about? I'm talking this is what Hitler did. This is what the Third Reich did. Do you remember what they did? Through science. It was science that led the charge for Jews to be put in the gas chamber, to be led to Auschwitz, to be put in the ghetto. It was science that showed, oh, the Jews are subhuman. And they're a biological threat to the Germans. They need to be exterminated. How in the world? I mean, even today, I went through the Holocaust Museum. And I literally, I, I spent all day in the Holocaust Museum. And one of the coolest things that you'll experience when you get there is it's story after story after story. Entire sections dedicated to the propaganda of Nazism rising up. How did so, this atrocity happen? How could something so diabolical take? How could so many Germans be taken? Open up your eyes. Today, what's going on? Open up your eyes and see what's going on. You know, it's interesting. You got to pay attention to the headlines that are coming out. And this one wasn't too long ago. NBC Sports. Look at the headline. Buccaneers say they're using wristbands for vaccinated players. Yellow for unvaccinated. That's just a really bizarre coincidence. Do you understand? Back in the day in Nazism, they slapped a yellow band on the Jews. And of course, the Nazis, who were free to roam in society, free to partake, free to travel, free to own businesses. Yeah, they had the red band. Now, again, maybe that's just a really bizarre coincidence. But let's look at some other headlines. Fauci warns there may soon be two Americas as divide widens. Not between Democrat and Republican, between conservative or liberal. He is is literally saying two Americas is coming and it's going to be between the vaccinated and unvaccinated. Again, I tell you, I saw that very attribute rise in Nazi Germany. Where they separated through science. The Jews from the rest of society. You cannot make this stuff up that we're actually seeing right now. And, and let me take this statement that you need to take extremely seriously. Because right now the CDC has released a report. And I got it this week. And in that report it talks about creating, literally, operating concentration camps. And that's the term used, by the way, camps. Not making this up. Check this out. This is a headline news report on this. CDC announces COVID internment camps for every U.S. city will separate families. A plan published by the CDC calls for nationwide COVID concentration camps to be operated at the camp sector level, which will be populated by individuals designated high risk who are forcibly ripped from their families and homes to be imprisoned by the CDC. Now, you think about this, the inhumanity of it to begin with. Okay, so, so who is high risk? That's the interesting part. They'll be doing the defining of who's high risk. The elderly, maybe with some comorbidities. Grandma, grandpa living with their children. Their children are taking care of them. They love mom and dad. 
Well, I'm sorry. Grandma and grandpa's got comorbidities. We're taking them out. We're going to rip you apart from your families. Maybe disabled. Maybe you have some disabled. Maybe you have people that are immune compromised. We're coming to get them. They're high risk. But this is the one you really want to pay attention to. And by the way, you know, some of the, what I just said, you know, when the Nazis did what they did to the Jews, they took the disabled with them. You not remember this stuff? Those, those who we would call today high risk. Well, now here's the thing. You'll notice headlines coming out from, for example, like CNN. And do you know what they're saying? They're saying the unvaccinated are high risk. Terminology is already coming up. They're laying the platform. Pay attention. And these things are happening. We go to this. Among other whores, the CDC document openly calls for separating couples and families, then admits, and they do. I've read the paper. They admit this action will cause extreme psychological trauma among Americans who are targeted and ripped from their homes to be placed in COVID concentration camps. I wish I could stand here and tell you, you know what, sometime in the future this could possibly happen. This stuff's unfolding right now. I don't have the luxury to tell you that anymore. How are they going to get there? Do you know that National Guard is actually uh, recruiting right now for internment relocation specialists? Right now. You know what a relocation specialist? Go back, study Lenin, study communism, study Nazism. The Jews were relocated. But they're looking to fill these positions. But again, you know, this is, you know, when you go back to World War II, the Jews could not wrap their head around the many of the Jews stayed because they thought it would be fine. They didn't give in to all the conspiracy theories. They didn't get too worked up about it. This too shall pass. The same environment is happening right now. I want to introduce you to this website. It's known as Dear Vaccine. And this is a global thing, all right? And basically what it is, and I'll put this up here, we'll just describe it this way. Dear Vaccine is a global community poem inviting all to share their voices to promote COVID-19 vaccination through the imaginative language of poetry. See, this is, a, this is a call for all the gifted poets throughout the world. Come and pay homage. Pay homage to the vaccine. Write your poem in regard to the vaccine. I'll give you a couple examples. Dear Vaccine, thank you for letting my little boy know his grandparents, not just as faces on a screen, but as beings filled with love, wrapping him in hugs and kisses, holding him oh so tightly, warmly, never ever letting go. Dear Vaccine, it's, it's literally being personified. A thing is being personified. Nay, I say this is deified. Thank you for the salvation. Thank you for restoring me to my family. Dear Vaccine, you promised so much. Concerts, movies, travel, ball games. Yes, we want all the worldly things. But it is the prospect of hugging my grown daughter after 14 months apart that fills my eyes with grateful tears. Now, you got to understand what this website is. It's all dedicated, so you do this. But here's the thing. It's all based off the poem called Dear Vaccine. So all these poets are supposed to be, fall into line under the primary poem. It's the theme. I want to show you what this says. This will blow your mind. This is by Naomi Shehab Nye. Save us, dear vaccine. Take us seriously. We had plans. Salvation. Give us salvation. 
Tiny gleaming vials enter our cities and town, shining your light. Restore us to each other. Bring us salvation, oh dear vaccine. It's the bringer of light. I wonder how Paul would look at this today in light of what he wrote to the Corinthians when he says Satan comes as an angel of light. Vaccine, please make the air clean. How do you not laugh at this? This is absolutely insane. But this is what you're expecting your God, little G, to do. We went to yoga classes, deep collective breathing in small rooms in the cities where we did not even live. I don't even want to get into that aspect. How brave we were. Vaccine, please. Restore our lives. Believe they were beautiful. Now, this is only part of the poem. Do you understand we have now entire websites dedicated to paying homage to this bringer of light that brings salvation and deliverance? Yeah, we're in trouble. And so that leads me to this. That's why the message is titled, Are You Ready? Are you ready for what is coming? Are you prepared? Because it is coming. And I'm going to tell you this. If you're not ready for the stuff we're talking about, just a couple minutes in this sermon, I promise you, you are not ready for the coming of the Lord. You need to go home and ponder that. If you're struggling at home just with the thought that, oh, you may, and you may and may not, we'll see. But if you struggle with the thought of being put in a concentration camp, being ripped away from your loved ones, having people die in your life, And you can't handle that. I kid you not. You are not ready for the coming of the Messiah. You're not ready for the main event. This is the warm-up. This is as you get into the days of tribulation. This is where the church is tested. Will you hold fast to the Messiah, Yeshua? Will you not compromise his commandments? We have a lot to do today. And so I'm going to get going. Last week we looked at Jude uh, verses 17, 18, and 19. And basically, Jude comes out and says that there's going to be mockers. We're dealing with the people in the church. They're going to rise up in the, the church, and there's going to be, they're going to be scoffing in the last days. Now, what we did is we went to Peter's version of this, exact same sermon. But we go to Peter's version of this, and Peter isolates something that these mockers do. They say something in particular, and this is what they say. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. These scoffers are using history to their advantage to justify their doubt and to sow doubt. To sing that unholy lullaby. Well, the beauty is, is Peter's going to continue. And as he's going to continue, he's going to lay some stuff out. He's going to respond to the scoffer mentality. He says this. For this they willingly forget... That by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water. Look at what he does here. I love Peter. Do you see the brilliance? Peter's like, oh, the scoffers want to give us a history lesson. And they, they want us to look at history and everything that's happened to justify. He's really not coming. He's probably not coming. Doesn't even care. We could count. We could go a thousand different ways on that. And Peter says, you want a history? I'll give you a history lesson. Go back to creation. Remember what God did. Remember what he said. He said, and this is a side note, but the first words ever spoken by God that are recorded in scripture. It's not Bereshit Baralohim. In the beginning, God created. No, no, that's an account. 
What are the first words spoken by God himself that are recorded? Yahi or. Let there be light. And vayahi or. And there was light. See, this is, this is what Peter's doing. And, and he created a ferment and he divided the waters from the waters. And then he commanded on the third day that the waters be gathered so there could be dry land. Peter goes back to history and said, that's history you have forgotten. You have forgotten the maker of heaven and earth. And then he says this, in which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. Peter moves from the Lord creating heaven and earth and he goes into, now you forgot the judgment. And why did judgment happen? It happened because God said, I'm sorry that I made man on the earth. I will destroy him from the earth. And exactly what the Lord communicated to Noah, guess what happened? He fulfilled every single word of it. Every word of it. You want a little history lesson, scoffers? There it is. We can't forget that. And he goes on in verse 7. He says, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word. In other words, the very word that created it said, yeah, he or let there be light. And there was light. The very word that said, you know what? I'm going to destroy all flesh from the earth. Is the very same word that is holding heaven and earth together right now. Because he goes on and he says, this heaven and earth are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. They're not thinking clearly. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as as one day. And what is Peter getting at here? The primary point that he wants to make across, we could talk about some other things, but we're not going to prophetically. The primary point he's making is that this is quick. You don't understand timetable and time in the mind of God. Peter's actually drawing from Psalm 90, where he says, a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past. I mean, yesterday come and gone is a thousand years of time. And like a watch in the night. And so Peter's trying to give some perspective here in in regard to the matter and to understanding that this is how quick it is. So you are not making good judgment. You're not assessing the situation properly. And then he moves to verse nine. The Lord is not what? Slack, which is to say slow. The Lord is not slow concerning his promise as some count slackness or slowness. In other words, Peter's coming on the scene. Don't you dare think that Yeshua is dragging his feet. Don't think he's delaying. Don't think he changed his mind. What are we to think? This is what we're to think. But is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's heart is that he doesn't want one person to die. You know, we read in the book of Ezekiel, he does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. This entire world of all these people going to and fro, and this is important, put this on the shelf. They were, they were living life, eating and drinking. They were merry. They were going about their ways. They were given in marriage. Everything was good until it wasn't. It was too late when they got called an account. It came upon them immediately. And you don't get to say at that time, as I mentioned before, you, you know, the, the world didn't get to say, whoa, we had no idea. We are so sorry. Can, you, can we reschedule this event? We need some more time. I need time to go back and I want to repent now. There isn't going to be any second chances at that, at that time. There's no second chances. You die tonight. 
There's no second chances to make it right with Yeshua, to make him the Lord of your life. You don't have it. And he goes on, so, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Study the days of Noah. See how quick destruction came upon them. So it will be at the end of the age. Then he goes on in verse 42. Watch therefore. Okay, this is, now he's given us instructions on how to deal with the end of days. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. He would have been standing guard. He would have been protecting. He was ready. And was Yeshua is making this in this, in this uh, illustration. He's making it very clear. If someone were to walk up to you and say, hey, in between the hour of 2 in the morning and 3 in the morning, people are coming to take your family and they're coming to pillage everything you own. Everything is going to be destroyed. You, you, you'd be preparing you would be moving like you never did before because your life depends on it. The life of your family depends on it. You would be watching. And so take that of what he just said and then listen to what he says next in verse 44. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Did you catch what just happened? Because it's powerful. Because he just got done saying in his illustration, if the master of the house would know the hour, I'm going to give you the hour, I'm going to tell you the time. He would have prepared and not allowed his house to be broken into. You don't get any of that luxury. Yeshua said you don't know the hour. And what does that mean? That means literally 24-7, morning, noon, and night, you will devote your life to him. Not for a second will you compromise not for a second will you walk off the true path. You will stay on your knees. You will stay with a pure heart and a pure mind. You will take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. And you will not stop because you do not know when. You don't know when you're going to take your last breath and you do not know the hour he is going to return. This means you don't give 90 or 99.9% of your heart to the Lord because that's not going to cut it. You give 100% to him. 100%. This is where you need to be. This is where we all need to be. This is where I need to be. And nothing else will do. Verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food and due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. See, Yeshua wants to come back and he wants to see you busy about the father's business actively walking in his commandments, walking in his love, showing his love, walking in his power, receiving his truth. This is his desire. But then he says this. But if that evil servant says in his heart, and I want to stop, because this is the part where you can't blow past a passage like this and not get the proper context, which is the identical context, mind you, of Jude. Jude is dealing with imposters, wolves in sheep's clothing, the people in the church, those who turn the grace of God into lewdness. Peter is doing the same, and now here we see Yeshua doing the same. Notice what he calls these people. He calls them a servant. They are his servant. The problem is, he's not a good one. He is an evil servant. 
This is significant. And all you got to do is, you know, this is Matthew 24. When you get into Matthew 25, what do you read about? The parable of the 10 virgins right after this. The parable, they all have lamps. They're all called virgins because they're all part of the church. But five were wise. And, you know, thy word is a lamp unto thy feet. They all had the word. They were all given the gospel. But only five of them had oil. Only five of them were not hearers, uh, but they were doers of the word. They actually were walking in his commandments. This is all relevant. See, the, the, when you read this in its proper context, way scarier. Because we just typically think all oh, the world. It gets much more scary when you have believers, professing believers walking around. They're being called evil servants. What do these evil servants do? This will blow your mind. My master is delaying his coming. Exactly what Peter just said. The scoffers will come on the scene. They're rising up in the church. Where's the promise of his coming? Where do you think Peter got that from? He got it from his master, Yeshua. Yeshua taught this. And he says it is evil. It is diabolic. It is pure evil for you not to believe this word. It is pure evil for us to not believe in the promises of the living God. And and again, and we've already covered so much of this. You want to know how the Lord responds to that kind of unbelief? Just go read the Torah. Go read the first five books. You'll find out. It doesn't work out so good for them. It's evil. Unbelief is evil. Disobedience is evil. But look at the fruit that comes from these men. The fruit is this. And begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. See, if somebody thinks, I got time. I don't believe, number one, my life is going to be required me of today. I don't see Yeshua coming back anytime soon. I have time. I'm going to let my hair down a little bit. I have a little bit of wine and a little bit more. It's all good. I'm going to flirt with the world. I'm going to commit adultery against the Lord. I'm going to, I'm going to engage in the worldly things. I'm going to celebrate what the world celebrates. I'm going to give my heart, you know, a little portion of my heart to the, to the world. It's okay because you know what? He's not coming anytime soon. I guarantee you, exactly what Yeshua says here, the teaching he's saying is, if you don't believe he is coming soon and that your life may be required of you today, you will go and sin. It's your fleshly nature. You have unbelief in your heart. You have doubt. You're not radical. You're not on fire. You're not pushing in the faith. I want to take you to the Torah. I'm going to bring some, you know, kind of bring some, shed some light to the reality of what this looks like. And again, how many times have I said this in this this series? Israel, in Egypt, experienced, they saw with their own eyes how God rained plagues down upon Egypt, while at the same time separating them and sparing them and protecting them, only to come to that crescendo where the lamb is killed, and they are spared death and delivered out of the land by the blood of the lamb. And they experience all that. Then they get to the Red Sea. And literally, we're told in the Torah that the Red Sea, it parted. And the waters were a wall on the left and on the right. They saw a supernatural miracle. That wasn't enough. Because as soon as they cross over, magically, the sea came back down together again. And they just saw their enemies routed. And then I will sing unto the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously. These were men who knew the power of God. 
They sang victory songs to him. There's no debate. But that isn't enough. The the best is for last. They are now going to be brought to the mountain to literally meet with God. And they're going to literally hear the voice of God where God speaks to them face to face. And it was so awesome that they said, please make it stop. Moses, let us not hear the voice of the Lord anymore or we will die. You speak with us and we'll hear. Let not God speak with us because we won't be around. It was that awesome. They literally, God audibly spoke the Aseret HaDevarim, the Ten Commandments to them. Men, women, child, children, infants, every single one of them heard it. Okay, so, I mean, you want to talk about some history here with the Lord. You want to talk about, they've come into covenant. They said, all the words that have spoken, we will do. They're in covenant with God. This is as fresh as it gets. So what does Moshe do? Well, he's going to intercede on their behalf. He's going to go up and he's going to meet with God to get the Aseret HaDevarim on the stone tablets. Right? Look at what happens. This is what we read. Now, when the people saw that Moshe delayed coming down from the mountain, Yeshua is the prophet like unto Moses. That means when we look at the life of Moshe, of Moses, there's all these prophetic inferences that point to him that teach us about him, that teach us about prophecy. Isn't it interesting? Here Israel, is, they're, they're mindful. They're like, Moses is gone. Yeah, we know he went up to the mountain, but okay, a day after day after day is going by. Okay, what's going on here? Moses did not tell them the day or the hour he would return. So what happened? They fell into fear and doubt and distress, and they, in their minds, he's delaying. How do people, how do people in covenant with God that know God, how, how, does, how do they respond? Check this out. We read the rest of this. The people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, come, come make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moshe, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Unreal. Because as hell's about to be unleashed, as tribulation is, we're about to experience some serious tribulation. How many Christians are going to fall into this? Like, where's God? We're in distress. Fear on every side. People are ready to kill us. They're out in the middle of the wilderness. What do we do? You know what they're going to do? They're going to compromise. They want something they can see with their eyes of flesh. I need to be able to touch it. I need to be able to see it. And guess what they did? I mean, listen to me. This is a deer vaccine moment. This is a deer vaccine moment. They needed this, and they, they, so they created this, this golden calf. And what did they do? They ascribed to that golden calf made with hands. This is the God that took us out. Of, this delivered us. This saved us. Oh, this will restore our families. This will do it. And it's amazing. What, what do we see next happen? They start singing and dancing. Remember what Yeshua said in regard to the days of eating and drinking? Yeah, they're doing it all. They're, they're not sad. They're like they conformed to the pagans. They conformed to the world. They compromised. They gave in. Oh, but here's the craziest part. Yeah, Moses came down and they weren't expecting him. They were not expecting him. He surprised them. And let me tell you, it didn't go well. Thousands in Israel were slaughtered because 
They believed he delayed coming because they doubted, because they compromised. Absolutely demonic. The whole thing is absolutely demonic. Moving on, going back to Yeshua's commentary in 24, going back to verse 48. But if that evil servant says in his heart, oh, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, and we know no wine-bibber enters into the kingdom of God, the master of that servant will come on a day, oh, when he is not looking for him and at an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The obvious takeaway is, are you ready? If you're not ready for tribulation, you're not ready for this. You're not even close. We need to ready ourselves. Revelation 3, let's dig into this further. And to the angel of the church at Sardis write, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you were alive, oh, but you are dead. Interesting. In other words, what Yeshua is saying is, yeah, I know you're walking around. You still have blood in your flesh. I know you're alive. You're dead. You are a dead man. You spiritually are dead. You are going to hell. Now, who is he talking to? The world? He's talking to the church. He's talking to the believers, as you would say. And Yeshua says something here. He says, I know your works. You know, there's a lot of believers that have bought the lie. Well, who cares? Works have nothing to do with salvation. Well, let's see what Yeshua has to say about that. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. Okay, so these people have not given 100% of their heart to the Lord. They're not in a fire-based, total awesome relationship with the living God. They're not driven to the Word and they're not driven to prayer. They're having a little bit of fun. They're becoming complacent in their faith. And Shua comes back and says, you better start watching. And you need to strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. In other words, this goes back to Ezekiel, right? And where, what Ezekiel says that if a righteous man goes on and begins to trust in his own righteousness, which means, oh, look at all the good that I've done in the past. I'm good. You know what? If I do this sin, if I do a little bit of that, I'm okay. And what the prophet says is that, when it's actually the Lord, when you do that, when a righteous man trusts in his righteousness and begins to sin, all the righteousness that he did do will vanish. It's all gone. Everything you labored for, every good deed you ever did, poof, gone. Because of the sin that you have fallen into. I mean, this is scripture. This is exactly what Yeshua is communicating here. And look at how he rounds it out. He says, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Well, who cares about works? If they have nothing to do with my salvation, if it doesn't matter, if, if what I do in this life isn't going to make any impact on whether I go to heaven or hell, why is Yeshua making this statement? And which brings us to this point. Are your works perfect before God? Now this drops me to my knees. I will humble myself before the living God. I will confess sin. I am not messing around because I believe every word of this. I know Yeshua is not playing. This is as serious as it gets. This is life and death. What you do in this life matters. Don't let anyone, I don't care, pastor, teacher, friend, family, 
foe, I don't care who they are in your life, if they're telling you to walk away from the words that are found in this book, run for your life. Get out. Verse 3. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Now, I love this because this is not the only time that he says this to the churches of Revelation. You begin with the first church mentioned is Ephesus. And what did they do? They left their first love. And everybody here knows that first love. If you truly got saved at some point in your life and you truly gave your heart to Jesus, to Yeshua, when you gave it heart, you know the fire and the passion you had. Amen? How many of you can testify? No, I was on fire. I couldn't consume the word enough. I couldn't stop uh, praying. I couldn't stop singing. I would look outside and look at nature and I'd give him glory. It's crazy love. It's beautiful. Yeshua is telling the church of Ephesus and he is telling the church of Sardis, you better get back there. You better find your way back. And you know how you do that? Because some people go... I, I've had these conversations. Some people go, Dan, I just can't get back there. You know why? Because you will not let go of your sin. What? What? Yeah. (laughs) And that's the response I get, brother. (laughs) You won't let go of your sin. There is something you will not let go of. Understand something. The spirit is a gentleman. And you have got to prepare. Yeshua says he stands at the door and knock. He doesn't come kicking it in. You have to open it. And that means you take care of business and you get the filth out of your heart and you get the filth out of your mind. You get the judgmental spirit out. You get pride. You get lust. You go after all the heavy ones, the idolatry, the unforgiveness. Get it out of your heart. It's preventing the power of God to move through you. The spirit of God of doing great and awesome things. This is the reality. And he says this, hold fast and repent. Hold fast. You know, it's interesting when you, if you go back to the Torah, the actual words that you'll find there in, I think it's Deuteronomy 4, as it talks about Israel, it talks about how they held fast. You who held fast are here today. In other words, you didn't get into the ball of Peor incident. You didn't give into the sexual immorality, the seduction of it. You held fast. You held the line. And you're here today because of it. And it's interesting, Yeshua is drawing off of this. Man, if you know your Torah, it's just like, it's, 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 it's just amazing. The Torah comes to life because of Yeshua. He brings it to life. Therefore, if you will not watch, here's the warning. You want to get comfortable with the world? You want to eat the easy road? I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. I'm taking you out. That's a threat. Make no mistake. The Lord will make good on that threat. And it's not a threat to be mean. He's trying to save your life. He's trying to save my life. I mean, I love what Peter says. Do you want to go away, Peter? Yeshua says to him, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. I have nowhere else to go. He's my master. He's my teacher. He's my rabbi. I want to go to Luke 22. We're going to round it out here. Now, please pay attention because this is powerful. And the Lord said, Shimon, Shimon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. In other words, Satan wants to try you in the fires because he thinks you're weak and you're not going to hold steadfast with me, that you're going to abandon me. He did the exact same thing to Job. 
And notice how in both situations we see Satan has to get what? Permission. The protection of the living God is upon his anointed ones. So Satan comes to get permission. And it seems the times that we have in scripture, God gives it. Because you're going to go through testing. And you might want to consider this when you're doing that, that maybe the Lord gave permission because he wants to be glorified as you're sucking wind. And you're totally got fear on every side and everything looks hopeless. The devil wants you to turn on God and say, where are you? You've abandoned me rather than saying, blessed be the name of the Lord. This is what, this is, this is, this is what's going on in the spirit realm. Now we continue. Yeshua says this, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Oh, we truly have an intercessor. We have a Messiah, a high priest that cares for us. And the devil keeps trying to tell you he doesn't care. He doesn't give beans about you. Despite the fact he clouds your judgment and your memory on what he already did for you. He's already proven his love. He's died for us. And he's actively involved in us. Look at Yeshua. This is so awesome. He prayed for him that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, yeah, you're going to take a beating. And we know the story. Strengthen your brethren. And this is why he called him Peter. This is why he called him a rock. The strong are to bear with the weak. But then we come to this. And this is what we need to highlight. But he said to him, Peter, this is Peter talking to Yeshua. Lord, I am ready to go with you. So I ask you, are you ready? Peter's response, even after the Lord just got done telling him, Satan is going to sift you as wheat. Hell is coming. And what's Peter say? I'm ready. Oh, and was he? Yes. I'll prove it. Look at the next thing that he says. I am ready to go with you where? To prison and to death. He did both. Peter went to prison and he went to death for the name of Yeshua. Now notice what it says here. This to me, this is everything. Because what's coming, you need to remember this passage. Peter says, I am willing to go with you where? To prison. Do you understand? When you're put on the chopping block and the devil is trying to intimidate you and tell you to compromise your faith in Christ. Compromise your allegiance, your obedience to his word. When he tries to do that and you say no, and they say, well, you're going to prison, know this, Yeshua is going with you because that's where he's at. He is there and that's where you want to be. Have that mentality. Get strong in your heart right now. You need to have the mentality. If, if, if what you're asking me, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, you want us to bow down to this image? I'm not doing it. Well, then you're going to be burned to death. If that is the case, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We're not going to do it. God can save us, but if he doesn't, so be it. They went into the fire furnace. Isn't that interesting? Who was there? Yeshua. That's where he is. And when it's time, if you have to die, if you're being called to glorify Yeshua in death, you better go to him in death. Do not compromise. There is no compromise. There can be no compromise right now. You need to get strong because the pressure's coming. It's heating up with each passing day, amen? We're gonna close here.